You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 845 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Coming to you on a Wednesday, and today's show will feature the start of a new series of sorts that I'm doing with Brian Schroeder, a friend of the pro- a friend of the podcast already, I should say. Brian is very smart. You can find him on Twitter at Cosmos. He also writes about the draft, etc., at Dime and on his Patreon, which I also, uh, by the way, contribute alongside him at Dime, just for full disclosure there. But at any rate, I'll be talking to Brian in a few seconds, and uh, basically that's going to be a few longer chunks that I've recorded with Brian. I'm divvying them up into player-by-player breakdowns on a lot of the lottery picks, and the first one is today's pod on the mellow ball that you'll hear in a second. With that said, we'll build that up to guys that the, that the Hawks are most likely to draft later on in the cycle, and obviously there's a lot of interest in um, Ball, though, and Brian and I have talked about James Wiseman as well uh, on the same recording that you'll hear later on, as well as Anthony Edwards and Alexei Pokashevsky. Those will be published in the coming days, and then we'll transition into the likes of Isaac Okoro and uh, Devin Vassell, Tyrese Halliburton, etc. So hold on tight for all those. Keep Please keep subscribing, etc. First, though, I want to answer. I want to answer one mailbag question of sorts, and that's what we'll probably do on a couple of these with Brian. Is I'll tack on uh, one topic at the top here, and today was a pretty obvious one because I actually got a lot of questions about this. I will credit um, at the Georgia fan and at Mister Legend ninety six for asking me this question first on Twitter today. But I got a bunch of questions about the John- Jonathan Wasserman uh, latest mock draft fake trade over at Bleacher Report. I did say this last time, if you're a new listener, you might not have heard it. As a disclaimer, I think fake trades are extremely hard to put together. Uh, I talked about them quite a bit already in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're sort of in this downtime in advance of the draft. This is not me picking on, John, on Jonathan Wasserman whatsoever. People were just asking me, asking me to respond to this because it was out there in the public. And John has a pretty big following. So I am confident, by the way, that his editors have nudged him firmly into putting those out, out, out into the air because uh, they definitely drive clicks in a lot of ways. But... It is what it is. No judgment here whatsoever for trying to put some uh, interesting stuff together. And I, talk, I talked about one with Chris Kirschner, um, um earlier on, earlier in the week, I should say, on a fake trade similarly. So, again, a lot of people ask me about this. It's been a, lot season, a long offseason, so here we are with a breakdown before we get to Brian. So, the trade that was in public, if you didn't see this, it was the Orlando Magic getting the number 6 pick from the Hawks. And the Hawks getting number 15 in this year's draft. That's Orlando's own pick. Mo Bamba, the former lottery pick in the same year as Trey Young, and then Al Farouk Aminu, veteran combo forward who is also a local product. So, in short, you're dropping down nine spots, which isn't as big in this draft as some others, but it's still a big-time drop in value, even with the way that I am approaching this class, thinking it's pretty flat. Going down nine spots is significant, and you're going to have to uh, get some kind of real compensation for doing such such a thing like that. Um, From there, you get Aminu, who is probably negative value, honestly, on his contract, at least at this moment in time, he's owed $9.7 million for the upcoming season. And then the following year, in 21-22, he has a $10.2 million player option. So that's one that I am assuming he will opt into, most likely. Um, Al Farouk played in 18 games this year. He was pretty bad when he played. He had surgery in January to repair a torn meniscus in his knee. He's already 30 at this point in time. I've always liked him, actually. I think he can play when he's healthy and right. But you know, at 30 and coming off the injury, there's some uncertainty there for sure. Again, I mentioned before, but a local product from Gwinnett County, etc. I think um, he's a useful player, to be sure, when he is healthy, but not someone that I'd be thrilled. And I'm sure he would not get two for 20 on the market right now um, in free agency. So keep that in mind, probably a negative value contract. From there, 
basically what I would say about this trade is that you absolutely have to love Mo Bamba in order to want this trade for the Hawks. Um, now, I'll, now I'll tell you why. <laughs> so basically, Bamba is 22 already, not not old, but not super duper young anymore. And he, honestly, he's been a pretty bad offensive player so far in the NBA over, across two seasons. Defensively, there's a lot to like. He's still huge and a great rim protector as a result of that. But it's far from a lock that he's even a good rotation player, much less anything beyond that. He's not been that so far in his career. Granted, it's only two seasons, but he's not been a plus really at any point in Orlando. I've never been a huge fan anyway. I was kind of low on him in the draft back when it happened two years ago. Even if you were all, all, in on, all in on him, though, I should say, before the draft, the thing about Bamba is that you know, you're know you looking for upside, and I think it's at least fair to be skeptical, even if you were a big fan in the draft. You just haven't seen a whole lot from him to this point in time. So you're getting the former lottery pick and the pedigree and all that stuff. He's still, he's still fairly young, but context is a really important thing here, especially with regard to Atlanta. The Hawks now have a quality starting center in Click Capella making eight figures for three more seasons. So it's not as if you couldn't move Capella if Bamba were to explode, but just getting him on the court is not the easiest thing in the world, especially because the Hawks also have John Collins, who I think should still play some at center. Not a ton, but some. Those are some minutes that you want to use for him at center. And from there, I don't care about Dwayne Devin necessarily playing, even though he's better than Bamba at this point in time. Like right now today, I would definitely trust Devin over Bamba. But if you're trying to look at the future, I totally get that. But just pull Devin out of consideration. The Hawks just don't have a ton of playing time to give Bamba, and you want to play him if you're going to give, um, sort of give up an asset essentially to get him in this kind of way. He's a better prospect than Bruno Fernando to be sure, but he's also there. Bruno's already on the team and cheap. And honestly, cost was a consideration of some level because Bamba as a former mid lottery pick has some decent money coming in. He's owed 6 million for the upcoming season. And to this point, he's not been worth 6 million in either, either of his first two seasons on the market. And, they, and then he has the fourth year team option for 7.6 million in the following season, which, you know, not huge money, not Markel Fultz money for the option, but with the way that Bamba has not contributed a whole lot, that isn't a no brainer that you would be lo- that you would love to have him for almost $8 million two years from now. And then from there, he would be a restrictive free agent after after four seasons, but you have to offer him more than ten million dollars in a qualifying offer, and that's a long way away. I realize that, but you know, part of the appeal to have someone like that who's restricted is that you can keep on keep him around, but you have to be, you have to be willing to offer that deal. And if Obama doesn't really improve in the next two years, if he's not given that opportunity to grow, you know, that's not a no brainer that you would offer him a qualifying offer because if he's not a great player, he'll just take it, and then you're owing him ten million dollars. So I'm not sure it's going to be a negative for sure by any means. But it's far from a certainty that Bamba is ever worth that $10 million qualifying offer after four years, and I'm not sure he's ever going to be a plus rotation player. He certainly could be. He had upside to be a starting center, I think. He still has real real talent. Defensively, there's a lot to like there, but the offense really does kind of scare me. So, overall, I get the theory of wanting Bamba, and I, I actually ran the, ran the deal across a couple of people around the league, in addition to some people on Twitter, etc. And a few, a few people were definitely higher on it than I am, to be sure. I think, again, the big swing on this trade is pretty easy to see, but also I'll just say it again now, it's how you feel about Bamba. Because for me, you have to be kind of all in on Bamba to do this deal because, again, you're dropping nine spots in the draft and taking on Aminu, who is probably a negative value contract. Again, not not, not a definite negative if he's healthy, but right now today, I think 220 is more than you would want to pay Bamba, uh, sorry, pay Aminu, and that means that he's a negative value contract. So, you're losing on the other two parts of this deal. And Bama has to make up the difference in both value propositions. I think that's not necessarily the case. I think that 
you have to think Bomb is a pretty big positive on his deal and as a as a piece of the future to make this a value neutral thing. And honestly, it might be easier to sell me on that if the Hawks didn't already have Capella under under contract for three years. And again, they could move Capella if they felt like Bamba was like the guy long term. But right now, you definitely can't say that. And even a year from now, you know, I'm not sure what's going to convince you in the next year with Bamba as the third center option. Like maybe you could you can call him the backup center, but with Collins there as well, like is he going to play 15 minutes a night max? So. All kinds of questions there. Um, I just wouldn't be over the moon to take on to take on Bamba as like the only positive part of a trade. Yes, he has positive value potentially, and there's still a lot of intrigue there. But not a guy that I would be uh, trying to move heaven and earth to get. Basically, that's just me. I know I don't, I don't ever see him as a better asset than I do. That's totally fine. But in the end, this trade is basically how you feel about Bamba. And I, I think my takeaway is that you have to be really, really, really in on Bamba to want to do that trade, and I'm not quite there yet. So I would not do that one. It's not crazy to think that the Hawks might want to buy low on a player with real upside. I just wish it was in the center. Honestly, if, if Mo Bamba had the same pedigree and the same talent level but was more of like a combo forward type, it's a lot easier to sell. But for the Hawks, Bamba is a one-position player at center, and that's like the only spot really, other than like small point guard, that the Hawks really don't need to you know, take on. Certainly you could, there's room a little bit in the front court, but not a ton. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just wouldn't do this one. I, I did, I, I, I did see some Hawks fans that like this deal because they just love Bombo and that's fine. If you love Bombo, then sure. If you don't, then you can't do it. So, okay. Um, before we get to Brian, I will tell you about our sponsors on today's podcast. And the first sponsor on today's show is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I told you so many times in the past, how much I really love the original Bobar flavors, but now there are up to 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like lemon almond cheesecake, a personal favorite of mine, and cookies and cream, and also caramel brownie. And each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. By the way, it's also crucial to note that Bill Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to, be, trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious to, to eat as a treat. And by the way, the, the bars are also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and Bilt Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet. Go to BiltBar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. When you do that, you'll get 20% off on your next order with Bilt Bar. One more time, that is BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it out at BiltBar.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at Roman. And talking about erectile dysfunction is not always easy. Usually men just brush it off or blame themselves using phrases like I lost my mojo or even avoiding it altogether by blaming work or a long day at the office. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe you real medication. It's simple, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care, all from the comfort and the privacy of your own home. And if medication ends up being appropriate for you, Roman will ship it to you for free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and simple. Getting started is also simple. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA and complete an online visit with Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA today, and if approved, you get $15 off your first order of treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. And as I said previously at the top, this is the first installment of a series with Brian Schroeder, and it was recorded as part of a larger conversation, so keep that in mind. But with that said, here is my conversation with Brian on the Mellow Ball and much more. Brian, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast to uh, dive further into the never-ending draft cycle, and uh, I appreciate you coming on as always. It's nice to be here again. Absolutely, my friend. Um, so I, I tease this at the top here, but what, what, what we're going to do uh, essentially, and you've uh, been kind enough to join me for a bunch of these, is um, 
start things off at the top, we'll talk about the guys who probably are not going to be on the Hawks, which is not the sexiest tease in the world, but the guys who are going to be probably gone by the time Atlanta picks at six, I will say they are certainly capable of trading up for any of these gentlemen if they wanted to do that. But um, at six, uh, the guys who I, I think I'm pretty confident are not going to be there based on intel and based on just reading things between the lines are LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards. Uh, before we get into them, do you disagree with any of that? It's like, do you, from what you have heard or seen, it seems like those guys are going to be gone by six. I mean, it's not impossible that Edwards gets there, but the other two are definitely going to be on. Yeah, I've actually been kind of surprised by that. Um, it, it's become uh, not that I mean, not not that Edwards is the one that could fall, but it does kind of feel like it's being framed like Ball and Wiseman at the top, and I thought it was going to be Ball and yeah. Edwards at the top. So it's just, it's interesting to me. I, I'm pretty sure Lamelo will be going number one, no matter who takes him. Uh, the only other option is is is, is Wiseman. That seems like what's going to happen. It does seem that way. I'll be honest. Um, yeah. Whether it should be that way yeah, or something, yeah. something else. Yeah, but. <laughs> just take the grain of salt that uh, like at least 60 to 70% of the intel we're seeing is just teams using they're like using like, I don't want to like single out Sam Sini, but like using using him and using other people to blow smoke up people's asses. And like they, everyone, you know, Woj gets it too, Shams gets it. Like everybody, all the media people who have sources, a lot of the stuff they're getting is like I don't, I don't think the Warriors are actually thinking about uh, eighteen different players at number two. Like they know who they want to take, and if they don't take that guy, they're going to trade. But they keep saying every few days, like we really like Obi Toppin, we really like James Wiseman, and like they're just doing that to, to to try to try and drum up interest for the second pick, especially like them, especially. Um, the Wolves seem like Lamelo or the trading, so like that, that's how it seems to me. But the th- the thing is, is like. These teams are not going to say who they actually like in public. That's what that's what yep. it is. Like <laughs> that's what they they don't do that. Unless they unless they just don't unless they're just not going to trade. Like you know, like the Bulls never do. Like the Bulls were talking about Lowry Marketing for like a year and a half, and then they just got him. And and like they wanted they would have tra- I think they would have traded that form even if they hadn't traded Jimmy Butler. Is what I've heard. But like some teams some teams do say that stuff in public. Most teams do not. That's what I'm learning. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And there are the occasional, like last year, for instance, ev- everyone in the world knew that Philly wanted Tybal, and they got to yeah, yeah. Uh, pay well, the price I, I for that. I, <laughs> but I'm talking more like like top eight picks. I think I'm, once I'm you with get you. Out of that, once you get out of that, it's pretty like if you if you hear about a team really liking somebody at like 22, they probably are actually going to take him. But like, yeah, it's it's definitely special that season. Has real trade value. It's not. It's they're, they're just trying to gauge interest, really. Oh, yeah. I think the I think I'm glad you brought up the Warriors because they are the number one example. They've been tied to everyone, and that is on purpose. And that's smart. I mean, that's yeah. what you're supposed to do. You're trying to find a trade yeah. market. They want to trade it, especially. It's not a secret that they want to trade it. And they're the only team, really, that is, like, such an obvious trade team. Obviously, the Wolves you could talk about, too. But the Warriors are the only team in the top, you know, 7, 8, 10, that's a – potential contender next year if they do one or two things and adding a rookie to that team especially a rookie in a bad draft oh, like, offensive to the sacramento kings i mean i guess the suns and the kings want to be uh <laughs> the, sun, the suns maybe yeah they, they might be the other option i mean yes the sun the suns could, could be good next year no question about it, but the suns are not gonna win the title next year i mean that's no. realistic i think uh the warriors i'm not sure they will either but at least they could credibly make that argument that they're trying to do that and they're just in a different place they're older you know 
on one hand, you could extend your window by drafting someone super young and building the bridge that way. But on the other hand, they don't have that many assets and uh, you might yeah. want to use that asset. I'd to say this way, I, I would say that the Warriors are fairly confident they can beat the Lakers. That doesn't mean they will, but I don't, I don't think the other guys, and this is you know, dependent on the Lakers not somehow getting Chris Paul, which won't, probably won't happen. But like, I don't think the other guys, I think they, they can, I mean, they know they can beat LeBron and I think they're not particularly afraid of Anthony Davis. Like they never have been of, of those, of real of bigs. So I think, I think they think if they can trade the second pick and get like, I don't want to say Robert Covington, but cause he's always the guy with Wiggins, but like <laughs> if they can get like a fourth guy. I think they think they, they'll win. Yeah. And they're going to look to do that. And obviously we're just not a Warriors podcast. But and they're not afraid of, of anyone in the East. No. And yeah, they never have been. They're in their own uh, world among the teams that did not make the bubble, especially. They are the only team that's yeah. sort of in their standing, and I put them to the side almost. Um, but you mentioned the Wolves. I don't want to like do the Wolves thing necessarily, but um, I'm with you. I, it feels to me on the outside that you know, new GM, um, they probably want to at least look at trades, but if they don't trade, I think you said they would would take LaMelo. I tend to agree with that. Um, We can talk about LaMelo now. Let's just talk about him for a second because if anyone's new listening, they may not have heard my opinion or maybe seen yours, but um, what do you think about LaMelo as a prospect? And um, like, is he, you know, near the top for you? Like, how do you sort of view everything in this class? But especially the fact that, you know, I'll say that I have him number one. So how do you, uh, how do you go from there? He's, I mean, in a normal draft, I think he'd be like four, because he's he's got extreme flaws and extreme strengths, and like you can bank on him. I'll say this as like a fantasy player, I think he's going to be terrific because he's going to get a lot of points, rebounds, assists, steals. But like he may he may not be a ceiling raiser for a few years. He may not end up being a ceiling raiser at all. He could just be end up being like D'Angelo Russell kind of. I mean, that's not how he plays, but like. D'Angelo Russell's a good player, but nobody's like, look out, you're going to win the title now that you got D'Angelo Russell on your team. Um, it could be in a, he could be like the Dinwiddie, like a little better, like slightly better than Dinwiddie level player, which is really an indictment of how bad. This top of this class has nobody in it that you look at and it's like, yes, that guy is a four, four, four or five time all-star, which is pretty rare. Usually there's somebody. I mean, last year was not a good class and they still have two guys from the start who look like they're going to be all-stars for a long time. And then a bunch of other guys who could be. Um, those guys, of course, are uh, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Cam could make an all-star. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes an all-star team eventually. Like, I do, I would not I, I, am, I do yes. feel a lot I feel a lot better about him than I did. He, he played pretty well the second half of the year. Um, Agreed. I don't think Hunter's very good, but that's another you, ne- you never did, and that's fair. I mean, uh, I, I liked him more than you did, I hate it, and I still hated the trade. So, <laughs> there's that. I liked him a lot in his freshman year, but then he just didn't get any better at anything. And you can't you, – I don't think you can be a top six, seven pick if your number one attribute is on-ball defense. It's not important. It's not an important thing. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Lamelo is – he's weird because I, I think the, the Dinwiddie thing I mentioned is – for people who think he like he stinks, a you have not watched him play basketball at least since he was when he was like a six two guy who shot forty footers. It was like okay, yeah, he's not a real player. And then he grew half a foot, and he retained all of his dribbling ability, which means he dribbles like. I mean, he's not not a worse dribbler than Trey Young is, and he's six foot eight, six seven, six eight, which makes him. 
like by default a good NBA player because like Spencer Dinwiddie is not a good shooter really. He's okay. He's not good at defense at all. He's not really out there like like all ball defense or team defense. He's not out there scoring 25 points a game. What he is is a six six guy who can run a pick and roll, and that's really hard to defend. And he kills the Sixers because they can't defend it. And like Lamelo is at least that, and he's got more. He has like savant tendencies sometimes, where he just sees things that other players don't. He really looks like he's gonna be like a, like I don't think his defense. He's weak. He's physically weak, so people get past him. But yeah, he makes a lot of crazy reads and get and will get a lot of steals that guys usually don't get. And that usually translates more than like getting blown by as a guard. Most guards get blown by all the time. Like most point guards are not very good on ball defenders. Like most high leverage guys who are getting a lot of possessions. Steph's not. Chris Paul is, but Chris Paul doesn't count. Like, I mean, that Harden gets blown by all the time. It doesn't mean he's – he's still okay at defense. He's not a bad defender. It's like – I don't – I'm not really worried about that with Melo. His shot is worrisome, but it's really just he, – it's just the way he shoots is weird. Like, his legs are weird. I think they'll work on it. I've seen him hit, like, 20-foot floaters for fun in, in the middle of a game, so his touch is fine. If he's, like, a 72, 73% foul shooter and, like, 32% from three – He'll be fine. He'll be good. And I think that the ceiling of him is like elite passer, like one of the best passers alive at six foot eight. I, I think you just like, you, you, I think you take that. I, I think he's probably going to go number one and he probably should. Yeah. With a couple I, exceptions, not really a higher ceiling in the draft, in this draft. Yeah. I think he is, um, his floor in my view is underrated. I think because of what you just kind of said there, like there's this notion that he's this boomer bust guy. And I, I sort of see that no. in some ways, but I, I also don't like, I think he, I'd be pretty surprised if he was bad, like just bad. He does too many things at a special level. Like there are certainly degrees, like if his shooting doesn't come along or if his decision-making doesn't really improve at some certain times and all that stuff. And defensively, like you said, he is pretty weak, but he's really long and gets how to play. He's just really smart. I don't know. I, I think he has you the look best combination of floor and ceiling for me. I think most people would say that Lonzo came much closer to his floor than his ceiling, and he still was, like, good. He's, like, a good NBA player. Like, he should be starting probably. Like, it's, you know. And the thing with the Mello, too, is he, um, I think he had, like, a 4-1 to one, or 4-1.5, to 1. 5, something like a, a good assist turnover. Like, he didn't turn the ball over that much despite playing on – Here's the thing about Illawarra is uh, they were the worst team in the NBL the year before he came there. And then they, they tried to rebuild and their big, their big rebuild was getting LaMelo and getting Aaron Brooks. And then Aaron Brooks tore his Achilles before they played a game. So LaMelo was the only guard on the team as an 18 year old playing in like a pro league. Like the NBL is not the best pro league, but it's a professional league with like guys who played in the NBA in it. And he still didn't turn the ball over that much. It wasn't a real problem. He makes some, you know, it's a Steve Nash thing. Steve Nash led the league in turnovers like four straight years because Steve Nash took risks. You're not going to – I mean, I hate to bring the NFL into this, but like sometimes you'll see people talk about a guy who doesn't throw interceptions, but he never throws the ball more than 15 yards on the field. So it's like, how is he going to throw interceptions? And it's like you if you're going to be an elite playmaker, you gotta, you're going to have bad turnovers from time to time. And I don't think he's any worse, any more concerning than, than some of Trey's. Trey has some bad ones. I think Trey's probably a better passer because I think he's better at getting underneath defenders and like forcing them to rotate. But Lamelo's gonna get to the rim. He's gonna make those passes. In transition, he's a freak passer. 
there's only one guy in this draft who's anywhere close to him. Um, by the way, to, to your point about turnovers, this is something I said before. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read people the uh, – this, this is the turnover, quote-unquote, quote leaderboard for this year. James, James Harden, Trey Young, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Russell Westbrook, Giannis, Nicole Jokic, John Morant is the top nine in turnovers. Like, I'd say every one of those guys is an elite passer except for Booker, and that's just more because Booker just whole, had a lot of responsibility. He's still a good passer. Yeah, so, I mean, turnovers are just part of the deal. Like, you don't want to have too many. Obviously, it's not ideal that Trey Young is second in the league in turnovers, but uh, to your point about Melo, like, you, you want someone who's ambitious. Where's He's he not shy. Say again? Yeah. Where's Trey at in usage, though? Like, Oh, know, yeah, way up there. He I mean, was he's, top three. So. Exactly. So, that, that's, part of, that's just part of the deal, especially with a raw number like that. But, yeah, it's, it's a good thing that you can take on that kind of creation role and be able to – do things that he's able to do. I wouldn't, you know, I've, I've been telling people to do this for a while, but I'm encouraging people to, to at least watch some Lamelo. I think he's one of those guys, especially anytime a player does not play in college, a lot of people just never see them. Like, other than highlight tapes, they just don't watch Which him. Which is strange because he, they were on Facebook Live a lot this year. Like they were on very easy to find. I think a lot of their games are still on YouTube. Yeah, like, I mean, but you, you and I know. easier to find than yeah. any other non-college player this year, I feel like. I do agree with that, but you and I know that um, people, there are people that like basketball that are probably listening to the show right now that are not going to go seek out a basketball game that yeah, they don't yeah, care about yeah. on Facebook Live. So, yes, I agree. It was actually not that hard to see him compared to like Poku or guys like that. Um, but if you're, not, if you're not on ESPN on a Tuesday night, people just don't see you, which is fine. I mean, LaMelo is famous, so he has some crossover appeal given the family and all that stuff. But I think it's more of like what people think he is versus what he actually is as part of this. Yes. Um, I've said before, if he, if he was not, if he was, I mean, a, he probably would be, have played in college. If he wasn't Lonzo, if it wasn't a ball, but if let's say for some reason, his name was like LaMelo Jones and he still had this exact same path. I don't think there'd be much debate about him being number one. I, I, I agree. Like, I and I, and I, I think it's pretty simple. level was the highest, I think. Yeah. I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, no matter, how, no matter how you feel about Le, about Lamar Ball and that whole experience, he's not uh, – you can't draft based on that. I think that LaMelo – I totally agree. I think I don't care about any of that stuff. He's his own person and uh, is really talented, and I think I, he should go number one. I mean, before the lottery, I was asking everyone that I talked to about whether he thought it would, uh, whether it would work with Trey in Atlanta, which probably isn't going to matter now, but did you have an opinion on that just no. for me to ask you? I think it would be fun. I think it would be would have been fun. Uh, Trey's dad versus LeVar would be fun. <laughs> uh, the thing is, I, I don't give them credit. I feel like, I feel like even if LeVar hasn't – LaMelo has learned from what happened a lot. I don't think he's going to let his dad be as big of a presence. NBA. Yeah, no, it, it, he won't be. And honestly, he's gone. I mean, Lavar's kind of gone away anyway, for the most part. I mean, if you're looking hard enough, you could find him. But he's not. Like, it's not like it yeah. was in the early days when he was just everywhere and on first take and all that stuff. It's not really like that. Yeah. So he seems to be focusing more of his more of his efforts on getting Leandro a two way deal with somebody. Which sure. is good luck. Yes, best of luck with that. Um, I mean, yeah, we're we're in agreement. I think Lamelo is obviously out of the Hawks range at this point in time. Uh, I think he's going to go pretty high in the draft. So uh, we can leave, leave that one where we are. Unless you have any final thoughts that you have not shared about LaMelo that you want to get out there. Uh, no, I, I wonder, I wonder how much <laughs> he's going to weigh when he grows all the way, but I'd say the big difference, if people are comparing him to his brother, the very big difference is that um, 
Lamelo doesn't move his lower body like an action, like a '90s action figure. Like Lonzo just has bad mobility, like sideways. He can't. I don't know if he's had more knee injuries than we were told, but he just like moves weird. And Lamelo is very flexible. He has a weird. He moves like a like Delon Wright kind of, where it's just like that guy shouldn't be moving like that. That looks strange. He's I really long. Delon Wright's not the most famous, not the most popular player right now, but I mean the guy is still good. I like Delon Wright. I, I, in fact, I. Uh... I have a mailbag question about him that I was going to tackle about like if Dallas was looking to dump him, the Hawks might be pretty interesting for the for the line, right? Actually, sure. as, a back, as a backup point guard option, if Dallas was, was just trying to shed that money. But anyway, um, it yeah. probably are from what I've heard. Yep, I've heard the same. So there you go. All right, this is Brad coming to you in post production. Tell you this is the end of today's episode. Again, stay tuned for future installments with Brian, including James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Alexi Pokashevsky. Then we'll have also uh, later on guys that the Hawks are more projected to draft: Devin Vassell, Isaac Okoro, Tyrese Halliburton, Denny Avdia, etc., etc. So please stay tuned for all of that. Please follow Brian at Cosmos on Twitter. Follow me if you would like to at BT Roll and follow the show at Locked On Hawks. Please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.